Welcome to the Co-op Power Hour on KGNU's It's the Economy. I'm Nathan Schneider, a professor of media studies at CU Boulder. We join you on the fourth Thursday of every month to learn about economic democracy and cooperative business. The Co-op Power Hour is a production of the Colorado Co-op Study Circle, which you can learn more about at our website, coloradocoops.info. Today we're talking about emerging models for cooperative food systems, new ways that people are using shared ownership to, uh, 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 to change how they access food, uh, how they produce it, how they market it. Um, we're we're going to be talking with some really um, uh, uh, powerful guests uh, working on building these new models. Uh, first, we'll hear from Dan Hobbs, who's the owner of Fa Hobbs Family Farm uh, and lead co-op development specialist for the Rocky Mountain Farmers Union. And he's also a founder of a new cooperative called Taproot Cooperative, which is part of this uh, network of food hub uh, 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 co-ops that are forming around the country uh, and around our region um, that uh, provide a kind of new model for, um, for farmers to access markets and for consumers to access uh, fresh uh, local food. And, and, and then we'll hear from uh, a co-manager and board president of the Fresh Food Hub uh, in Norwood, Leela. Uh, and she's going to be speaking to us about the experience of developing one of these food hubs um, from scratch in her community, though with the help of uh, the Rocky Mountain Farmers Union uh, and its its network. Finally, we'll hear from Claudia hansen Theme and uh, Elena Wilson, who are board members of uh, Boulder Cooperative Food, which is a new kind of uh, bulk buying uh, a food co-op that's forming uh, in, in Boulder. Now, my first memory of a food co-op, uh, uh, of a co-op in general, actually, was of this kind of pantry that uh, my mother would go to sometimes when I was little. I, I, I kind of have a vague memory of it as, as a kind of dark and shady place where she would get uh, uh, soy milk that she uh, believed would be good for me. And, uh, um, and and at the time, this was the only place she could get that kind of thing. This was uh, a time when 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 a lot of the products, uh, these these organic uh, natural products that she was interested in, just weren't available in most grocery stores. And so she had to go to the food co-op. And so uh, and so that's what uh, she did. And that that's an example of the way in which for generations, uh, 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 cooperatives have been uh, an essential. Uh, part of shaping our food ecosystem, uh, in particular in creating those markets that didn't exist, that where there was demand or there was supply, there was there was uh, a possibility of creating something, but. Uh, in, in large part, the investor-owned uh, economy just didn't see the value in it. At that time, uh, uh, when my mother took me to that food co-op, the uh, big companies just didn't see the value in supporting organic food yet. Um, and so it was cooperatives that, that built that market, uh, that educated people about the value of these kinds of foods, and, and actually uh, created the space for what would you know, largely be filled by... Um, uh, uh, companies like Whole Foods and Amazon, um, and, uh, and 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 these kinds of small uh, creative co-ops often emerged out of uh, a tradition going back to the counterculture in the '60s. You know, of of people kind of retreating from um, mainstream society and building something new and different. 
but often something small, something fairly marginal, something in a closet, like how I remember that, uh, that co-op. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Uh, a couple summers ago, I had the chance to go to, to Italy and see um, uh, touring the cooperative sector there. And, and, and one thing that was hard not to notice was that the largest uh, uh, food uh, you know, grocery chain in the country is a cooperative. Actually, the second largest is also a cooperative of a different sort. And, um, and, and it demonstrates that it is possible to build cooperative models at very, very large scales. Um, it could have been uh, uh, the case that in this country, rather than uh, investor-backed companies like Whole Foods and Amazon uh, uh, now, which has purchased Whole Foods, uh, taking over the organic and natural food market that um, cooperatives helped to create, the cooperatives could have actually filled that space and uh, and grown to um, uh, to meet the demand uh, uh, that they had built. And and this is a part of the story of of agriculture in this country uh, uh, for a long time. Uh, in the late 19th century, early 20th century, farmers were forming cooperatives left and right uh, uh, to provide uh, to provide uh, access to markets, to uh, get access to the inputs that they need at affordable prices, the credit that they need, um, all sorts of things that 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 make farmers vulnerable to exploitation. Uh, uh, cooperatives could enable them to. Uh, 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 to, to access together uh, without that exploitation, without that um, kind of markup and tax to the, uh, to, the, to the investors far away from their communities and their concerns. Um, this is something that was very powerful here in Colorado. Um, uh, the Grange movement uh, spread across the state, helping farmers form these cooperatives. Um, and, uh, uh, and this became a large part of the basis of, um, of Colorado agriculture. I was just up uh, visiting a family farm, for instance, and, and uh, you know, saw the beets that uh, my family members are still growing, have been growing for generations, and are still taking to the, uh, the beet processing cooperative. Uh, and saw the tanks uh, with the Agfinity logo on them. That's another farmer cooperative that provides uh, uh, inputs and, and services to uh, farmer co-ops. We've we've heard from from them on this show, um, and so this is a, a you know a powerful model in past generations, and and once again now people are reinventing uh, food systems with uh, with cooperatives, and it's really um, exciting to see people not just mimicking older forms, you know, not just mimicking the, um, uh, the, the co-op grocery stores that they've seen in different places, the famous Park Slope Food Co-op in Brooklyn, this sort of thing, but they're actually looking around them and noticing what are our actual needs? Um, how can we meet those needs together through cooperative models, through flexible and creative um, businesses that we co-own and co-govern? Uh, so each of the guests that we're going to be hearing from uh, in the next hour are doing that. They're they're creating these uh, uh, these innovative, flexible models that are just so very much in the tradition of um, of cooperative food systems uh, in this state and in this country and beyond uh, uh, for generations. Our first guest is Dan Hobbs, owner of Hobbs Family Farm in Avondale, a lead co-op development specialist at the Rocky Mountain Farmers Union, and a founder of Taproot Cooperative, which is one of the new food system cooperatives that we're talking about. Dan, welcome to the show. 
Thank you. Great to be with you. Well, thanks for joining us. Now, can we start out just with some of the basics about this new project that you're taking up, and then we'll, we'll, we'll work backward from there? What is the Taproot Cooperative, and how did it come about? The Taproot Cooperative is an outgrowth of a food hub development in Colorado. Uh, the Rocky Mountain Farmers Union Cooperative Development Center in the year 2014 saw many emerging food hubs across our territory, which includes Colorado, New Mexico, and Wyoming. We counted 16 different food hubs, uh, all in a variety of stages of organizational development and all organized uh, kind of differently in responding to local uh, challenges and opportunities, nonprofit food hubs, uh, for-profit food hubs, LLCs, sole proprietorships, cooperatives. And so in an effort to uh, coordinate many of these groups and try to reduce duplication, we convened what we called the Rocky Mountain Food Hub Network. We held approximately five peer networking and learning sessions, had some workshops, and then began the, uh, the work of trying to coordinate our different efforts. Out of that peer working group grew the Taproot Cooperative, which was uh, an association of five agriculturally oriented uh, food hubs. Three of those five were uh, actually farmer-owned cooperatives. And so Taproot evolved into a cooperative of cooperatives, otherwise known as a federated cooperative, and with the goal of marketing member products outside of uh, local areas and primarily into the urban areas of uh, Denver and Colorado Springs. Great. So tell us a bit about how people might access this cooperative, might use it. Uh, what's a kind of normal use case? Tell us a story of how somebody might uh, become part of this, this co-op. So the, uh, the Taproot Cooperative is organized uh, as a cooperative of hubs. And so in order to become a member of the Taproot Cooperative, you, you need to have a functioning incorporated food hub business. And uh, on the product side of the equation, people would access um, the goods that are sold through this group, primarily through existing businesses. Uh, for example, restaurants in the Denver area, uh, institutions, grocery stores, uh, that, that kind of thing. This, this Taproot group is a wholesale supplier of produce, meat, a certain amount of grains, and some value-added agricultural products. So this is a, a, a co-op that largely operates from the consumer's perspective in the background. Is that right? It's something that, that strengthens and supports businesses that people are encountering directly, but they might not encounter it directly or even know that they're participating in this cooperative. That's correct. And unless the customers advertise the Taproot Cooperative and some of their menus or other materials uh, customers wouldn't know. Oftentimes, a, a lot of our customers, um, the restaurants, that is, would uh, advertise local food or regional food, and uh, most customers would probably have to ask additional questions to find out where that food came from. Uh, and, and just to give it some uh, further perspective, the uh, this is a type of value chain, and you could compare it to a a traditional supply chain, um, 
or, or rather contrast it to a traditional supply chain. These value chains are set up on uh, prince, cooperative principles and uh, transparency and equity across the system from the uh, workers in the field to fair prices to farmers, fair prices to uh, distribution partners, fair prices to customers. And, and so they're, they're very much structured in a uh, different manner than typical supply chains, which are largely geared to um, returning profits to shareholders. Now, how does this fit into the larger history of the Rocky Mountain Farmers Union, which you're uh, part of? This is an organization that has been involved in farmer organizing and cooperative development for uh, for generations in our region. Uh, how much does this uh, does this project depart from uh, uh, previous work of the RMFU, and how much is this kind of in line with this this the long tradition of the organization? Yes, well. Farmers Union as an organization has established more cooperatives uh, throughout the United States than any other organization going back to establishment of the rural electric associations and, uh, and, and even cooperatives prior to that. So we've, we've worked with all kinds of uh, co-op models, but our strong suit really is uh, marketing and production type cooperatives. And, and so I like to think of these food hubs as sort of out of the, out of the old playbook. Uh, similar to uh, uh, farmer exchanges that that operated in the uh, 1930s, 1940s, and uh, or, or another term for a lot of those old organizations would be pack houses, cooperative packing houses. What's different with this particular model that we're working on is that it it strings together numerous businesses, in this case, food hubs. That uh, that could ordinarily be seen as competitors. So in the great cooperative tradition, uh, we turn uh, competition into uh, cooperation, and 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 I think through this project we're holding both of those. There still is a certain amount of of competition between hubs, but it's happening in a in a coordinated fashion. So I would say that's really the the new development uh, from the old types of of uh, brick and mortar. Uh, farmer cooperatives that we used to work with. And what kind of scale of operations does this uh, kind of model support? Is it designed um, mainly to support uh, smaller farms or larger farms? I mean, we're seeing uh, some debates in the uh, uh, rural co-op sector around whether co-ops are uh, doing a better job of serving uh, smaller farms as opposed to the, you know, the larger uh, corporate farms. What is that? What kind of model does this uh, does this cooperative aim toward? I would say food hubs in general support uh, small and mid-scale family farms, and that certainly is the case with these five food hubs and and the Taproot Cooperative. Uh, these are 100% small and mid-sized farms. There are some collaborations with larger farms uh, for sourcing certain products, melons from Rocky Ford, for example. And those relationships are important, but I would say the larger farms tend to have their own uh, systems, their own distribution and marketing systems, whereas the small and, and mid-scale farms often uh, include resource-limited farmers and ranchers. And so this, this is very much geared to the smaller producers and basically as a way to 
uh, bind them together and uh, act big when in fact they're small. Great. And, and, and just to uh, paint a picture of how farmers might participate, you, you uh, have a farm yourself uh, in Avondale. Can you tell us a bit about uh, the nature of your farm and, and the work that you do there and how it connects to these broader systems, why it needs these, uh, these broader systems in order to function? Gladly. And I would uh, first add that uh, we're very similar to our peers here with our food hub in the Pueblo County area. It's called Arkansas Valley Organic Growers. We operate out of a old middle school that was abandoned in eastern Pueblo County in the late 1980s. And many of the founding uh, growers of this cooperative were uh, traveling to Colorado Springs to market their goods directly to restaurants, Uh, community-supported agriculture programs and farmers markets. And as they did this through the years, uh, grew tired of driving up and down the highway and coming home with excess produce. And there was uh, quite a lot of duplication and and competition among local farmers. And so pretty quickly, a lot of us realized that there was a better path forward. Uh, Many of us held this value of being more closely tied to the land, spending more time with our families, And so through the establishment of the Food Hub, it's enabled us uh, to do that, in fact, to be uh, on our farms more of the time and less on the road and uh, telephone marketing our products. So the Food Hub has occupied this really important place in all of our individual operations of removing some of the uh, burdens associated with, with marketing and distribution. And also, very importantly, Uh, access to cooperative infrastructure, Uh, coolers, freezers, uh, wash lines for produce, chili roasters, vacuum sealers for minimally processed goods. And so there's been some significant savings to the individual small farms by not having to install certain uh, costly infrastructures on the uh, the farms themselves. And so our uh, place here in Avondale is a 30-acre irrigated farm and we've basically got four distinct enterprises that we run here uh one is garlic we grow uh, nine varieties of garlic uh second one is ancient and heritage grains which we uh, convert into value-added products uh third is open pollinated vegetable seeds and the fourth is the fresh vegetables somewhere in the neighborhood of uh six seven eight varieties of fresh vegetables that get sold into the local food hub Great, and that that's really helpful to to you know p- point to some of the specific needs that you as a as a farmer need uh, uh, find yourself having uh, and turning to cooperatives for. Um, can you tell us a bit about whether somebody who's listening is a, a farmer or a consumer or a uh, a store owner or something like that? What are the different ways of getting involved in this uh, food hub network? How do people uh, start? Uh, finding the food hubs in their areas and participating in them. Yeah, the Rocky Mountain Farmers Union would be a great first stop. We we really are the conveners of the food hub movement uh, in Colorado and to a certain extent in New Mexico and Wyoming as well. Uh, and our uh, our telephone number is 303-752-5800 or uh, rmfu.org. And uh, we'd be happy to connect people uh, in different regions uh, to local food hubs. It is a growing movement, and so um, I would not say it's a it's a mature movement at this point. 
And again, to circle back to what I said early in the call here, uh, there's there's different types of food hubs. There's consumer-oriented hubs, often operating in urban areas. And then there's agricultural hubs that are aggregating products from the countryside. Uh, as a general farm organization, we're most interested in, in um, what's happening out in the rural areas and, and for farmers to have access to services and, and markets. And so I would just quickly note uh, the uh, five existing farmer rancher owned and operated food hubs are Southwest Farm Fresh in the Cortez area of Colorado, Valley Roots Food Hub in the San Luis Valley, Arkansas Valley Organic Growers in the Pueblo area, uh, Peak to Plains, which is a distribution partner and is affiliated with Ranch Foods Direct meat purveyors out of uh, Colorado Springs area, and then lastly, High Plains Food Cooperative, which is based in western Kansas and also has growers in eastern Colorado. Excellent. Thank you. Well, uh, uh, people can be sure to, to explore this emerging network through the Rocky Mountain Farmers Union. And thank you so much for Dan. Uh, thank you so much, Dan Hobbs, for joining us today. Thank you. I've been speaking with Dan Hobbs, owner of Hobbs Family Farm in Avondale, a lead co-op development specialist at the Rocky Mountain Farmers Union and a founder of Taproot Cooperative. Uh, this is part of this um, emerging uh, uh, food hub movement across the state. And next, we're going to talk with Lila, who's a co-manager and board president of the Fresh Food Hub in Norwood, Colorado. Uh, stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to the Co-op Power Hour. It's a regular feature on KG News, It's the Economy, and a production of the Colorado Co-op Study Circle. Today we're talking about new models in cooperative food systems. Uh, and uh, we just heard from Dan Hobbs, uh, who is a lead co-op development specialist at the Rocky Mountain Farmers Union, who's involved in developing this um, this system of food hubs across the state and the region. Uh, now we're going to hear from Lila, who's a co-manager and board president of the Fresh Food Hub in Norwood. Um, I believe she's driving through Texas right now as she's talking to us. Uh, Lila, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Hi, thank you. Good morning. So um, tell us a bit about what the Fresh Food Hub is in Norwood. What do you do? Uh, what uh, uh, ca caused people in the community to develop this organization? What was the need that it uh, set out to meet? Got it. Okay. So um, we opened in January 2016, and the need was I had just recently moved to the community about a year earlier, and um, – <laughs> Me, along with some other women that I knew, just felt like there was this really extreme gap between what was being produced in our region and our accessibility to it. Um, and so we just wanted to create, you know, originally we just wanted to do kind of a buyer's club open market and just create a place where the food being produced in the community was more um, accessible to the population there. 
And um, through a lot of organizing and meetings, we kind of decided a co-op was um, the best option for us. So uh, we incorporated and, and opened the store, and um, we serve we serve about four. We purchase from about forty different producers in the area, and our um, our radius is two hundred miles on the highway. And since we're divided by a lot of mountains and our towns are kind of far apart, it's actually um, that's a pretty short distance for us. And so on the Mesa proper. We're serving, we purchase from about 15 to 18 um, farms. So those are very small scale in our area, in our direct area. And tell us a bit about how this compares to uh, what people might be familiar with as a conventional co-op grocery store. Uh, You know, why not just follow the model that, um, uh, you know, we find across the country of a kind of cooperative grocery store owned by the people who shop there? Right. Well, um, so we're a really small community. Um, we're about 2,000 people on the Mesa and 500 in town. So, um, you know, a standard model really wouldn't work um, as a sustainable business just because our population is really limited and we're, um, you know, our region is really spread out. So we knew from the start that we needed to create a volunteer model. And so... Um, to um, supply labor and be able to get people a little bit hands-on and more participatory. So a lot of the structure was just based off of really trying to create um, an energy in the in the shop where everyone who was a customer or a member or a volunteer felt like they, they really did own it and their voice mattered and that they participated in helping it grow and develop. And so we're really, we're really hands-on and we're really community-based. So, um, the model is that members don't get dividends at the end of the year. Basically, all of the extra money we have goes into nonprofit activities in the community. And so we're, it's, it's a double whammy because we're basically a food co-op trying to support the local food economy, but we are also striving to get to a place where we have this extra money where we can do community service um, around you know, garden programming, uh, food health education, cooking classes, that kind of thing. Now, why did you make the decision not to return <clears throat> dividends to the members, as is you know common in in uh, many cooperatives? the The idea is that um, we wanted more money to invest in the program, and we wanted people to be invested in that. And quite frankly, the dividends would, because we're so small scale, it would be pretty peddly anyway. So I think that. We, we felt it would be a little bit more effective in um, making a sustainable model if we were able to utilize that money in other ways. Um, so at the end of the year, you know, we, we don't make a ton of money, but we are able to reinvest and we're slowly growing. And uh, we haven't had to take out loans or get investors. Um, and, um, yeah, so we've been really grassroots. And we started with a small $5,000 grant. And um, three years later, you know, we're in a different building and we have a lot better equipment and, you know, we, we do what we can. Um, and all the members seem to be completely happy with the structure the way it is. Now, how far along are you as far as the, the development that you'd like to see uh, uh, the Food Hub uh, have there in Norwood? And, and um, uh, you know, how did you get there? 
uh, what what kind of steps did it take to uh, uh, to make this happen? Um, well, a lot of volunteer time. Um, I managed the the shop for two years um, for free, which is about twenty five to thirty hours a week. Um, I was able to leave town a couple times, and board members sort of um, helped substitute my position. But it does take a really dedicated core group of people. Um, doesn't mean it's not possible. It just means that, you know, you're doing 60 hour weeks cause you still have another job. And so I think that it really takes determination from the group and, and consistency from the group to make it happen. Um, we also receive, um, some added funding, um, through grants. Um, the Telluride foundation in our area has been, um, very, very supportive. We also partner with the local food initiative, which I work for, and that's a branch of the Telluride Foundation, and that's um, similar goals to help support um, a local food economy and to make healthy food more accessible, particularly to low-income populations. Um, so um, we, see, we receive that added support, and we're able to receive that added support because we're not a typical co-op structure. So um, that was, you know, another reasoning and and why we decided to structure it in a, in a really not-for-profit grass, grassroots um, way because we could seek um, funding um, outside of the community. Um, so, yeah, dedicated group of people. Um, as, far as, as far as where we're heading, um, you know, a lot of that's really up in the air. I know one thing we really do want to focus on is increased value-added foods. So, um, and that's particularly so we're able to buy more volume from, from producers when um, it's on season um, so that we can preserve and do value added with it. One, it's a higher markup on value added because there's, there's labor in it and it's a specialty product. Um, so that can help the sustainability of the co-op. But then the, second, the, other, the other thing is that we're able to um, support farmers even more, you know, buying in bulk and then being able to extend the season so people can come in in December and get the pickled, you know, the pickled food and the frozen peas or whatever we, we decide to do. So right now we're really just kind of pick, pickling, experimenting, you know, prepping, you know, we have a ton of apples right now. So we're doing um, pre-frozen, you know, apple pie filling with the local apples and, you know, just kind of experimenting. We do like local peach frozen fruit pops and just trying to figure out how to extend the season and better support the farmer. So I know that the value added kitchen, we're definitely working on that. And we're in a space where we have a commercial kitchen. Um, As far as growing in size or volume of what we offer, I'm not sure the community is ready for that because of our size. So we're, we're really taking our time as far as expanding on that level. Now, what, what do you see the, the, the food hub model enabling um, both consumers and farmers in, in your community and in your network to be able to do? Does it enable the farmers to grow things that they otherwise couldn't grow, or does it enable uh, consumers to have access to things that they couldn't otherwise access? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the accessibility for consumers has, has been amazing, and the feedback has been great. Everyone's very, very appreciative who shops there. Um because there was pretty much no outlet before. There was a farmer's market, but that's just on Saturdays, and, you know, a lot of people weren't able to make it. Um, so having the food 
available throughout the week has been huge. As far as farmers are concerned, I think, you know, one, we're trying to support the farmers that existed and create, you know, at least a steady income, even if they still have to work a second job, as most farmers do. Um, but try, um, we're really trying to get other people motivated and interested in growing food, um, maybe younger populations or people that just kind of want some some more, you know, side cash or an alternative um, income. And um, I, we've seen we've seen people definitely interested, and we've seen some people, you know, start to grow a little bit more. And sometimes it's just someone bringing in a box of tomatoes and saying, "This is my, this is my the extra volume that I had. Um, can you buy it?" And we do. So it's it's kind of nice to see the culture around farming shift a tiny bit, and we really want to be supportive because we don't want to lose our farmers, especially small scale farmers, because. It's not a ju- just about the economy. It's about um, the sustainability of the environment and how we treat the land. And so that that factors in greatly for us. And we definitely want to make sure that we're, um, you know, supporting practices that um, are healthy for the landscape. And um, so, yes, trying to get new farmers involved, new people interested in growing food, and then, um, you know, maybe supporting um farmers who already exist into um, a more steady income, which doesn't happen for a lot of us. Fantastic. And and so how can people get involved? How can people find out more about what you're doing? Um, well, we have a website, freshfoodhub.net. Um, we do Facebook, so we have Fresh Food Hub. Um, and then there, there's numbers and contact information there. We are definitely always interested in volunteers. Some people help in the kitchen and some people do um, the register shifts. And um, that's always amazing. We do community events too. So sometimes people can just tap in when we have a special event and, and help out and cook food or whatever we need. And uh, so there's, there's a lot of ways to get involved. Also, if you're a producer or you're interested in growing, um, you know, a lot of people reach out to us and say, well, what, what are the gaps? What are the needs? And so, you know, we're able to kind of walk them through some, some ideas and steps they could take. I mean, obviously, we're in Norwood, so we're a little isolated. So it should be, you know, someone within the, the vicinity. But it would be, you know, we're, we're welcoming to, to everyone. And um, our shop hours are on the website as well. And we're only open 22 hours a week, so the weekends were 10 to 3, and then Tuesday, Thursday, Friday were 3 to 7. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Leela. We've been uh, hearing from uh, uh, Leela, who's a co-manager and board president of the Fresh Food Hub in Norwood. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Take care. Thank you. You're listening to the Co-op Power Hour, a regular feature on KGNU's It's the Economy and a production of the Colorado Co-op Study Circle. I'm Nathan Schneider. I teach uh, in media studies at CU Boulder. Uh, we're talking today about emerging models in, um, in cooperative food systems, new ways that people are organizing access to food and uh, uh, both on the farmer side and on the consumer side, enabling people to... Uh, uh, to to get stuff they couldn't otherwise get to, uh, and to get it at affordable prices. So uh, uh, finally, we're going to talk with uh, Claudia Hansen-Theme and uh, Elena Wilson uh, of 
Boulder Cooperative Food. This is a new uh, food cooperative in the Boulder area. And I think it's really interesting, especially because Boulder is a uh, you know, a community that's known for natural food and and organics and all this stuff, um, but it's never been able to support a conventional grocery store food cooperative for very long, um, and so they're taking up uh, a challenge, uh, but they're doing it in a in in a different kind of way than others have tried before. So, um, uh, Claudia and Elena, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us, Nathan. All right. So tell us a bit about uh, what Boulder Cooperative Food is and where it came from. You know, what, what, what brought this about? So uh, my experience starts in 2012 when I moved into a housing cooperative in Boulder. And we were, uh, it was a network of housing cooperatives and actually a local preschool that were ordering through uh, a larger food distributor. And then when the flood came in 2013, the preschool was flooded and they were no longer able to serve as um, as the the sort of distribution center for the buying club. This was right about the same time as we had established a stronger relationship with the Second Kitchen Food Co-op, which was initially a buying club um, in Boulder that then moved into a storefront in 2013, right at the time of the flood. So we switched all of our uh, house buying to the Second Kitchen but as you mentioned, the storefront wasn't really viable for them for very long. And by 2014, by late 2014, they had closed their doors. And so the core of Boulder Cooperative Food is really this network of housing cooperatives in Boulder that already exist as uh, sort of member-based uh, consensus decision-making based structures. And with these larger numbers of people occupying the housing, you know, it really makes sense to purchase food in bulk to leverage the economies of scale that having a numerous members allows. So in 2015 and 2016, actually, the Rocky Mountain Farmers Union uh, provided support for us to, to incorporate and create the entity that is now Boulder Cooperative Food. Great. And so about how many people are we talking about as the initial kind of founding uh, st structure, at least how many con consumers in these houses? So our current membership is about 80 individuals. That includes residents at seven um, legal housing cooperatives in Boulder. We also have two um, institutional members, um, a preschool, which does some buying for their students, and a co-housing community in North Boulder. Um, so that's our current membership. Uh, we do have a few individual members, folks that are bulk food aficionados, you could say, um, who like this model of buying. And so it's it's unlike a kind of conventional cooperative grocery store where you go in, you see all the things on the you know on the on the shelves, and you pick out the things you want. Uh, this is more of a kind of group buying club uh, model. That's at least how it's how it's getting started, and it's starting with a group, an existing group, the the members of the of the housing co-ops as well as the uh, the daycare center and uh, using that buying power to get started. Um, what is the experience like right now of participating in the food co-op? What do you do? How do people go shopping? <laughs> so our, our current system has an online ordering system. We place orders through our suppliers every two weeks for our members. Um, you can go online, shop our, our catalogs for various suppliers. We work with Golden Organics, which is a, a bulk foods uh, supplier based in Arvada. 
We actually have a bi-weekly Costco run where there's one member of the board and a helper who actually go and purchase food for the whole collective and bring it back. Um, and we also make purchases from Frontier Co-op. We can get spices that way. We get coffee from Conscious Coffees here in Boulder. Um, so it's an every two-week cycle for most products. So houses do have to do some planning ahead. Um, but they tend to have um, dedicated food shoppers in the houses that track what the houses need. Right. And we leverage uh, an existing platform that's called foodclub.org that was created to support other buying clubs around the country. And so they have uh, this uh, interface that has the catalogs for all of the suppliers built in. And so the the online interface for the buyers is fairly straightforward in terms of um, being able to select the items that you want in the volumes that you want. And also, I think really important for our communities is knowing the source. So for example, um, you know, the information that we have about the things that we're buying through Golden Organics, you know, you can choose to to order legumes um, that come from China or that were grown in Nebraska, or I just ordered a 50 pound bag of flour yesterday or this weekend and could choose between uh, Colorado origin or Canada. And so having that choice and that information is uh, is important and really valuable to us. Mm-hmm. If a, an individual wants to join, is it the sort of thing where you have to go pick up your share um, at a designated spot or are they delivered? Uh, how does it work for people who are not living in uh, the the food the the cooperative houses or uh, in other cases right in co housing mm-hmm. these communities that that uh, of people who are already aggregated there is a small amount of commitment from members um, in terms of picking up food um, we have deliveries at a central location in Boulder and every week when the food comes in sorry every two weeks when the food comes in um, there's a call put out to members and people do need to come pick up their food. Um, I think that's actually a really fun part of the model when it comes down to it. You often meet other people in the process of doing that. You get to see some of your co-op neighbors. Um, so I see that as a bonus in some sense. Now, what does this enable you to do that you otherwise couldn't do before or that was harder? What are the advantages of uh, of coming together in this way? Like I mentioned, having some more choice about uh, what we're getting and where it comes from is is a benefit relative to what you would get if you just go to the grocery store or to Costco. Um, but then, you know, buying in bulk is more economical. You know, the price per unit or per volume is lower. Um, a great example of that combination of buying in bulk and then leveraging our member labor is uh, this spring we bought a 55-gallon drum of olive oil and the price for that um, is somewhere you know 20 to 30 percent lower per per unit than what you would pay at the store so we got that economic discount but then it also required uh, several folks to come together for the the physical task of splitting distributing a 55 gallon drum of oil (laughs) that sounds like fun building community through olive oil (laughs) Do you have a sense of where this is going? I mean, it's been a um, you know a, a, a few years in development. It's been a grassroots project growing among communities who are you know already groups of people committed to working in community and this sort of thing uh, to uh, people who are willing to to take some extra steps to be very intentional about where food is coming from and so forth. But but what kind of scope do you think that this model could actually encompass? 
I think that's a fabulous question. So we've been incorporated now for just over two years, and I think we've spent a lot of our time thus far um, just getting our systems up and running, making sure that you know we're doing our bookkeeping appropriately, that we're paying our taxes and so on. And now we are actually able to start looking outwards. Um, realistically, to be a storefront model, um, we would have to do 10 times the volume that we're already doing in business. So I don't think that's a direction that we are going. Um, but if there are ways to bring in more people in the community, whether that's other cooperative houses, whether that's more individuals that are interested in this model of, of food buying, I think we'd be happy to have more people. Yeah, I mean, you, you're able to be much more flexible um, because of the model that you've chosen, rather than starting with the really, really expensive commercial real estate, you're starting with, you know, the buying capacity and um, and working from there. Um, does this uh, 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 is this something that you think many many people in the community could be part of, or is it a kind of niche? Uh, is it a kind of niche model? Is it designed for people who have that high level of commitment, or is it something that um, that people who might have lower level of commitment might be able to participate in? I think to some extent. Um the, the commitment plays a role, but also just the rate of consumption. You know, we're buying 25-pound bags of dried beans. Um, and an average single-family household or an individual um, is not going to be interested in buying a 25-pound bag of, uh, you know, any given bulk food. So, you know, we're operating and meeting a fairly specific scale of consumption, Um but that's where the partnerships with the preschools and with the co-housing uh, communities have been interesting because these are other there are plenty of other entities in the community that uh, that share food among larger groups of people. And I think supporting that or encouraging that or fostering that through bulk food options is really great and a, and a role that we are playing and would love to continue playing and expanding. Is it something that uh, more commercial operations could participate in like restaurants and these sorts of things is it something where you know you could actually replace some of the distributors that commercial food operations are using that is not something we've discussed in our group and i mean just thinking about that offhand um that's such a, a scale problem i think at the scale that we're working right now being mostly run on volunteer labor using donated space um, but that's not that's not a, a user community that we're familiar with. Right. And I would say that the, the majority of our purchasing is done through Golden Organics, which does supply to other businesses in the city. And the, the perk that we offer to our members is that we um, we have those additional suppliers of, you know, equal exchange conscious coffees and Costco uh, to get some of the, the smaller or more niche things um, that aren't available through the large distributor. But that, again, you know, with the, especially with the Costco shopping being done with volunteers, there's only so much um, volume of purchasing we can handle. And we, you know, we do this through a resale process and the bookkeeping is all volunteer. And, and so we would have to rethink our model of labor. And um, if we scaled up to above a certain level. 
Well, it's, it's exciting that you've been able to get it off the ground in this way and to, and to recognize uh, the need for a different kind of strategy than people often think of when they, the, the image that they have when you know, they think of a food cooperative. I'd also, since you're here, um, love to hear a bit of an update on the uh, uh, Boulder Housing Cooperative uh, 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 community. What kinds of things have been going on there? In, in past shows, we've talked about the efforts to legalize uh, cooperative housing in, in, in this community where it was largely happening uh, uh, you know, outside of the legal framework. Can you give us a sense of, of what the progress is looking like now, what's happened uh, in, in the past year or two? So since the ordinance was passed. When was it? I can't even remember either. It was January of. <laughs> We're almost two years. 2017. Yeah. yeah. Right. So there was the first wave of, of legal, legalized houses that went through the process in 2017 of, you know, existing communities who, to my knowledge, have all gone through that process and received their license and are now operating legally with, with co-op licenses. And then since then, since, you know, mid to late 2017, over the past year or so, there's been. Um, every few months, it seems there's a, a new house that's starting, that's um, that's going through that process of establishing their their bylaws and their systems of governance and their decision making process. And their the ordinance outlines uh, fairly fairly strictly how that process must be done and what needs to be demonstrated to prove the legitimacy of the cooperative. And that's done through what's called an ECHO, um, an expert cooperative housing organization sort of vets and trains these new households. And so it's been exciting to see these new groups of folks who want to create community um, in their in a, a living environment go through that process um, of training and um, an application and getting their documents and um, in order and, and getting the licenses. So we've seen several households go through that from scratch now. Mm-hmm. Very good. And how about on the co-housing front, is there any news, uh, Claudia, anything, any new developments in co-housing in the area? I do not know of any new developments in Boulder proper. I know there is a community forming in Longmont at this point in time. Um, co-housing development, by my understanding, tends to be a, a fairly long process from the time that you get people coming together to join a community to actually identifying a real estate development um, and going through that. So mm-hmm. um, not sure that there's a lot new happening there in Good. Boulder at this point. Well, um, uh, tell us a bit about how people can get involved in uh, in Boulder Cooperative Food. And in particular, um, how do you know if you're in a good position to get involved? What's the kind of profile of member that you're looking for? Well, I think there's probably two different kinds of member that we might have. And, and I will speak as an individual member. Um, I'm a little crazy for bulk foods. And this model has been fabulous to me because I'm the person that found myself going every week to the grocery store and buying the same bulk products, which just, it got really old after a while. So um, if you find yourself buying the same things every time you walk into Whole Foods and wondering, why am I doing this? Why am I bringing in my containers? Why am I using another plastic bag? Um, you could certainly look us up at the co-op. Then there's there's larger groups of people that might join. Yeah, I would say from the the larger household perspective or and I think our our experiences may be analogous to the preschools or something else of that size um, 
there's the opportunity to to connect with other folks who are interested in acquiring food, but doing it through an organization that has a cooperative decision-making structure. So we give members the opportunity to give feedback and input on suppliers and um, and how and all the decisions that are made in terms of governance. Um, but we also are offer folks a pretty great diversity of choices. Um, and we don't only, you know, there aren't just the choices for the 25 pound bags of dried goods. You know, there are lots of products where you can choose a one pound, five pound, 25 or 50 pound um, size option. And so if you're, if you're feeding more than a few people and do that from home and do it with, you know, and want to do it with largely organic and, you know, responsibly sourced foods, then it's worth definitely worth looking into us. Great. And and how do people actually become members? Is there an investment that people have to make? And is there an expectation of participating in the volunteer work? Um, you know, what are the what are the expectations of membership? So we do have member equity shares, um, which for individuals are twenty five dollars a piece for a larger institution. It's two hundred and fifty dollars. And we use that equity simply so that we don't have to operate on credit with our suppliers. Um, we do not at this point have a labor expectation, although it's certainly welcome. Most of our labor is done by board members and other interested volunteers at this point in time. Um, but you also don't have to be a member to purchase through the cooperative. We just charge a slightly higher markup for non-members. So there's not a necessary commitment if people just want to give it a try. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. You're offering a really powerful example of you know how to how this kind of cooperative model can be flexible in, in meeting needs and and you know working around uh, kind of existing habits and and building on existing communities. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for the invitation, Nathan. Thank you. That was Claudia Hansen Theme and Elena Wilson of Boulder Cooperative Food. You can get involved and learn more at bouldercooperativefood.org. You've been listening to the Co-op Power Hour on KGNU's It's the Economy, a production of the Colorado Co-op Study Circle. You can catch us on the fourth Thursday of every month. I'm Nathan Schneider. I teach media studies at CU Boulder. And uh, we'd like to thank our guests this evening. We've heard from Dan Hobbs of the uh, Taproot Cooperative and Rocky Mountain Farmers Union, also a farmer himself at Hobbs Family Farm in Avondale. Then we heard from Leela, a co-manager and board president of the Fresh Food Hub in Norwood, part of that same network of food hubs in the uh, Rocky Mountain Farmers Union uh, network. And then also Claudia and uh, Elena from Boulder Cooperative Food. Um, we have a few announcements from the um, from the Colorado uh, Co-op Study Circle. Uh, for one thing, we've got uh, we've been working with partners uh, from an organization called Cooperatives for a Better World to develop a platform where you can find cooperatives across the state. That's Colorado.coop, uh, and this is just the start of a really ambitious effort to connect cooperatives across the state and and help them do shared marketing and even maybe shared purchasing, uh, helping them strengthen their businesses and and to uh, make the cooperative model more visible to uh, to potential customers and to uh, potential members uh, uh, in our communities. Now, a big 
kind of coming out party for that project is going to be on November 7th with the Colorado Shared Ownership Summit at CU Boulder. It's going to be at the law school building all day from about 8.30 to 6. Um, and uh, we're uh, going to be showcasing some of the new cooperative uh, projects developing across the uh, uh, the area and then also hearing from leaders of some of the leading co-ops um, in the state, including people from uh, uh, from CoBank, a, a large agricultural bank in um, in the tech center in Denver, um, people from uh, Canvas Credit Union and from uh, the Community Wealth Building Network of Metro Denver and more. So you can learn more about that uh, at our website, coloradocoops.info, uh, or uh, on the website of the Leeds School of Business at CU Boulder. Um, registration is is uh, wide open. Um, it's twenty dollars for for community members, but um, if that's a problem for you, you can let us know. There's a, a form where you can also apply for um, uh, travel support and reimbursement. So if you need help, uh, financial help getting there, we can help with that. We'll also um, have uh, Spanish interpretation throughout the event, thanks to the Community Language Cooperative uh, in Denver. So. Um, uh, lots of ways to get involved in that, and it'll be a really, um, I think, powerful event, powerful showcase of the legacy and the future of uh, Colorado cooperatives. Um, I also have to make a little plug. Uh, I don't have to. I, I want to make a plug for my new book, uh, which is called Everything for Everyone, uh, The Radical Tradition That is Shaping the Next Economy. Uh, it just came out in September from Nation Books, and uh, it's been really fun to uh, uh, to be part of the conversations that it's helping to spur. And, and um, uh, if you're interested in the things that we've been talking about in this show, uh, I hope the book is of, uh, of interest to you as well. On November 6th also, um, well, I, I believe we'll have the next meeting of the Better Together Freelancer Group, a group of freelancers uh, in the Denver area meeting together thinking about um, uh, uh, you know, how they can work together and help each other. Um, I believe it will be at Galvanize Denver. Um, we don't have the details totally confirmed, but they should be on, uh, on our meetup page, the Colorado Co-op Study Circle uh, meetup page at meetup.com. And then on uh, December 8th at 7 p.m., uh, Queen City Cooperative at 901 Clarkson uh, Street in Denver is going to be having its third annual Pies for Justice party. Uh, and you can bring your favorite pie in honor of a cause or co-op you care about. And each attendee will buy $1 tickets and donate uh, to the pie cause or co-op of their choice. And sweet or savory pies are, are very, very welcome there. Uh, so we've got a lot going on and, and a lot more coming up. Um, uh, the the um, Colorado Solidarity Fund is up and running, so we have a, a co-op investment club in our community now, uh, and uh, lots of ways that you can get involved. You can find out more, as always, at coloradocoops.info. Thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to uh, uh, returning again next month.